Welcome to Baker City First Church of the Nazarene Sunday Worship Message. Please join Pastor John and the congregation as we look at the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah had a really, really, really difficult life. How difficult of a life was Zephaniah's life? The Bible tells us not very much about him as a person. His name means Yahweh hid me. Yahweh's protecting me. Well, why would you name a child God's protecting me? Well, it makes sense when you start reading the text and you learn a little bit more about the history of the kings of Israel. There was a great king named Hezekiah. There was a really terrible king named Manasseh. And, and I don't know what you know about kings and leaders and rulers and all of that, but just take all of the bad stuff you can think of and put it all on Manasseh and you're not even close. Manasseh was a bad guy. Zephaniah grew up in a time where his mother and father hid their son from such evil that they named their boy God Protect Him. That's his name. God hide him from evil. Zephaniah. If you're here today and you're asking why a lot, as I am, I've got to go to Zephaniah where he prophesies as he grows up there's a good king that finally comes along after Manasseh and then Amnon, and then Josiah begins to do some reforms, but the people have a problem of, of making quick changes when there's problems and then not following through. Do you know what I'm talking about? People have a habit of making a big change when there's a big problem, and then they quit. And that's what Israel did all the time. So Zephaniah said, guys, you've got to repent, and if you repent, God's going to do something that's going to be beautiful. And here's Zephaniah chapter 3. Let's stand together. Zephaniah chapter 3. These are good words. If you're having a really bad day and you don't feel like singing and you're living in Zephaniah's time where there's horrible, horrible stuff, you get to chapter 3 and with a prophetic hope, that's what we're talking about today, prophecy, the prophetic hope of the Scriptures for Jesus. Read it with me. Here's a prophetic hope. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken the judgment against you away. He has cleared away all your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together, I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. If you believe God has the future in hand, say amen. You may be seated. Thanks for standing. There's three things about this passage we need to think about today, and these are good things to hear. When my heart's heavy and overwhelmed and my heart's broken, I... I can look forward to these three words from Zephaniah. 
first of all, these powerful words of encouragement, the Lord has taken away your judgment. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. This birth of a child, this Advent child is the advent of my freedom from judgment. I can be free of my sins because Jesus came to earth, and not just came to earth, but because He came to earth, I can be saved and cleansed and healed and justified and restored and renewed. When you see great evil in the world, look, look at Bethlehem that the child that is born is for us to overcome the power of evil in us. If you think there's a heart problem in America, then go to the cross. That's why Jesus died. That's how broken humanity is. Jesus overcame the power of sin and death. So when you see evil, and you will see evil, and you will see sin, you will see all of it in your life in some way, shape, or form, maybe more or less, depending on what kind of life you have. you got to go to Jesus. You've got to go to Jesus. Look what he did. He fulfilled the hope of Zephaniah because because of Jesus, I can say Romans 8.1. Say it with me, church. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't want to ever underestimate the fact that I'm no longer condemned before God. And then secondly, the Lord is in our midst. Two times in these short verses, Zephaniah kept saying, God, God is with you. He's in your midst. The Lord is in our midst, verses 15 and 17. The King of Israel, the Lord your God's in your midst. The Lord God's in your midst. That's 600 years before the birth of Jesus where we read those scriptures in Matthew 1.23, quote, Micah 5.2, Behold, the virgin will be with child, bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. That's why we sing and we, we say, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why Zephaniah, in the worst time in the world in his life, when he had no nation, all he had was corruption, evil kings, his parents probably hid him to keep him alive. He's prophesying about the future, and in the worst moment, he says, God's going to bring you together for a great time of dance. (laughs) The Lord will gather us who mourn, and our mourning will turn to dancing. I cannot dance at all. It is not something you want to try with me because if I step on you, you you will have arthritic issues. But you know, Roland Campbell went to be with the Lord yesterday about 4 o'clock. And I imagine in the presence of the Lord Jesus next to his bride and his son, I could see some jumping up and down and some joy. I see your dad. I see our firstborn that we didn't get to hold. I'll have some joy. See, Carl Bart said a long time ago, in a time when there was some great evil, he got kicked out of his job teaching theology because he did not sign an allegiance document to the guy who wanted to be the king of the world, a guy by the name of Adolf Hitler, if you remember him. He wrote these words, take your Bible and your newspaper and read both, but interpret your newspaper from your Bible. Lay your Bible before the TV. Lay your Bible before the email or the internet or the feed. Lay your Bible out and let the God who knows how to deal with the evil in humanity, speak to you, and you be a witness of what God can do in a heart. See, I will gather those who mourn for the festival, and at that time I bring you in, I'll gather you together, I'll make you renowned and praised, 
you before all the peoples of the earth, and one great day God will gather all of his people together with every language and, and every tongue and every time zone in the new creation of God in a new Jerusalem when God's kingdom will come to earth and all wars will stop and death will stop and crying will stop and craziness will stop and there will be a new day, a new community. I, I just want to speed it up. I just got this DVR, and you notice what can happen. You can go to the end of the program, watch the end, and then you can watch it over. It's sort of cool. You, I, I wish I had the history remote for you for DVR so we could speed up to the end of the world and, and watch Revelation unfold and watch the end of the world happen and watch Jesus be victorious over everything we've ever feared. But, but, but I've I got to ask you in faith to do that because I have a problem with being in a hurry anyway. Maybe you have a problem with being patient. Prophetic hope in Scripture is slow. It's a lot slower than I would like that Zephaniah prophesied in 640 to 609. And Jesus is born someone, you know, 2, 3, 4 B.C. We're not sure exactly. And now we're at 2012. And the coffee's not quite done because the book's not finished. But let me just say this to you. Every single word God spoke about tomorrow, God will make come to pass. Hang on, church. See, I, I read Zephaniah, and when you read the word festival and you read the, the power of what a festival was, the prophetic hope is the dancing and joy will be so intense there that you cannot remember any morning here. Now, you say, well, right, preacher, yeah, sure. That's just in the book. You're just telling me words to make me feel better. I want you to come find me in heaven and remind me of December 2012 and try to remember how bad everything was when you're in the intense joy of being face-to-face with Jesus. See, that's what prophetic hope is. We believe in the future, and that changes how we live right now. We can trust God right now. We've been doing this Jesse Tree thing. sort of cool. It's just a, a little story every day about all the stories between creation and Christ. 25 stories, 25 Bible stories. There's a guy named Solomon. Lord, give me wisdom. This is my prayer. Give me wisdom like Solomon. You know, Solomon could have had anything he wanted. God just literally said to Solomon, Hey, Solomon, you ask it and I'll give it. Now, would you just think for a minute, if God was talking to you in a dream, and he said to you, ask me anything you want, and I'll give it to you. What, do you, what would you ask for? What would you ask God for? First Kings 3, 5. And anything that, that, that I, you know, let's go to the next point. And keep, keep going. Yeah. Point two. Seven prayers. Go to, we, yeah, let's keep going. Go to the next slide. I'm going ahead. Lord, give me wisdom like Solomon. Go to the scripture. Look, look what he says. Give me your, your servant, therefore. Look what, he, look, look what he says he wants. He could have asked for anything, and he says out loud to God, give your servant, therefore, an understanding between good and evil. All I want is the power to understand how to govern people. That's all Solomon asked for. He wanted wisdom. Do you know that every decision in your life matters? You need the wisdom of Solomon. Many of you have children. I heard an amen from somebody who, who could preach the sermon to me. You're going to need the wisdom of Solomon. Or how many of you have a family that you still know and can call? You, you, you still talk to him. You do need the wisdom of Solomon. You may need the wisdom of Solomon if you don't talk to him. 
Every decision matters. Not just today, tomorrow I need wisdom. God, keep me from idols. Number two, this prayer, Lord, all the stories of Scripture, Lord, keep me from idols. This is an altar. I know I'm, I'm probably not balanced, but that's something you already knew. That's an altar right there. Okay, Elijah didn't want any idols in his life. He, he rose up to talk about idols in his nation. And he basically prophesied during the time of a terrible king named Ahab, who really had a, a terrible life. He repented toward the end of his life. But Ahab did everything he could do to fill his life with everything but God. And, and Elijah said, hey, you know, if there's a drought coming, God's going to judge your life because... And Elijah predicted the drought. The drought came, and Ahab was stubborn. And God sent Elijah to a widow who had nothing but a couple of, just a little jug of oil and some flour, and she fed Elijah. First Kings seventeen sixteen says, well, the Scripture says, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Worship at the altar of God, the provider of all you need. Never worship anything else. Never worship an idol. We have prophets of Baal in our time. I heard that the Psychic Friends Network is making a big comeback. Now, I'm talking about prophecy today. I anticipate the prophecy, the prophetic hope of guys like Zephaniah and Solomon, who wanted God's wisdom, and Elijah, who, 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 who was a spokesman to his nation about what God wanted. But I've heard the Psychic Friends Network is making a big comeback. In the fall of, of this year, there's a, a Nevada-based company is releasing an investor portfolio, for those of you who have a couple extra hundred thousand laying around, to, uh, to invest in the new Psychic Friends Network that's going to use social media and, and Facebook and tech, technology. See, the old one went bust in 98. I guess they didn't know how well they were going to do or bad they were going to do but they went bust in 1998. I guess it's a bad when you're psychic and you're bankrupt. And the Psychic Friends Network is a publicly traded company, but it had no revenue for this year, but it's projecting $64 million of take-home net income by 2015. And this is their tagline, be ready. I'm sure it will happen around the first of the year. We all want you to know what our future holds. For centuries, great leaders have sought and found the Vitic Psychic Edge. And now, so can you. <laughs> and so they send out these portfolios to people with just money to spend and burn on psychic friend network investing. But this is the disclaimer at the bottom of the front page. I'm quoting. Undue reliance should not be placed on the forward-looking statements because psychic friends network can give no assurance that they will prove to be correct. I don't need the psychic friends network. I got the Holy Spirit who breathed into the mind and heart of Zephaniah and Solomon in Elijah, exactly what we needed when I, we needed our whole Bible as a book that's looking forward. The Old Testament looking forward to the birth of Christ. What a great statement. There, there are so many prophecies fulfilled. And now, what about all the, all the words, the prophetic words of anticipating the great hope of the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ? I'm ready. Are you ready? Come, Christ. Isaiah, look forward to a time when there would be somebody nobody would want to look at, who wasn't pretty, who wasn't, who wasn't presentable, who was only a person that wanted to be a servant. And I think my, uh, my little, little guy is, uh, let's see if we can find a spot here. Let's see. I don't want that to fall, but maybe it will. I don't know, this might need to have a little help. 
Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53. Surely he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Who are we talking about? I, uh, I'd like to tell you that if you follow God, you'd never have violence. You'd never suffer. But the very thing that God uses to bless the world is oftentimes our suffering. Abraham, Sarah, and Joseph face suffering. And the way God blesses the world is by the sacrifice and suffering of his own son, God's anointed, God's own son, Jesus, Isaiah, the suffering servant, the Ebed Yahweh, he was bruised, he was crushed. There was nothing about him that was spectacular other than he was willing to die for you. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. He knew that, that the old covenant was so broken and so busted it would never, ever, ever work. All the reforms that had been tried by all the kings, Israel did not need another king. Listen to me, church. We don't need another king. We need a new heart. We don't need another law. We need a new heart. We don't need 11th commandment or 12th commandment. We need a new heart. We can have the laws. We can have the rules. Read the scripture. Read the prophets. Jeremiah said, oh, God's got to fix what's in here, our heart. It's here that God's giving a promise for Jeremiah, a prophetic promise, that I'm going to give you a new covenant that's not just an old covenant, so you could fake the old covenant. You could outwardly comply to the rules and regulations and all that. But the new covenant, you can't fake that, although Christians are pretty good at trying to at times. Jeremiah 31, 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. See, not on you. How many of you ever did something that your mom or dad wanted you to do, but you did it like this? How many of you had to hug your brother after a fight? How many of you didn't want to? You outwardly complied, but your heart was in it. A new covenant, a heart change. And when you have Habakkuk, when you have havoc in your life, like Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, all it's about, the whole book of Habakkuk, if you want to go home and read a book of the Bible, the whole book of Habakkuk is about why. Why is there so much evil? Why don't you stop the evil, God? Why don't you stop all these mean, horrible people from doing mean, horrible things? And he's talking about Assyria was beating up on Judah. Now it's Babylon beating up on Judah. And all his life, there's one thing after the other. He's exhausted. He's seen so much. He, he just sort of lets God have it. By the way, if you need to let God hear God how you feel, you have a friend in the Scriptures. Some of you can write your own book of lamentations. Habakkuk lets God have it. He tells God exactly how he feels. He empties his bucket. And this is what God says to Habakkuk. Hold, hold on. Don't, don't quit. And so Habakkuk waits. That's why the little ornaments of a post. He says, I'm going to, in Habakkuk 2.1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself in the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I'll answer concerning my complaint. And it is here God speaks in Habakkuk 2, 2 to 4. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For steal of vision awaits its appointed time. God's saying, hold on, Habakkuk. I've got a plan. I've got a future. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But here comes this phrase that the New Testament loves. Habakkuk 2, 4. But the righteous shall live by faith. Say it with me, church. 
but the righteous shall live by faith. You know what that means? Your faith is defined when you have no outward reason to believe anything will change, but you have an eternal heart hope in God that God's promise is real for you. That's prophetic hope. That's what it means when God speaks. And Habakkuk sings at the end of the book, Though the fig tree does not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail in the fields, yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Here's the thing. When everything around you is broken, when everything around you is evil, the thing that defines you as a believer in the prophetic hope of the Bible is you can sing. And nobody Habakkuk got it. By the way, if you've stopped singing because you think God quit on you, there's another prayer. Number six, Lord, you're the God of second chances. You love to rebuild lives. Some of you are on more than your second chance. Do I have a witness in the church today? Some of you, oh, by the way, this is a picture of a wall. I know I'm, I'm not, you're able to see everything very well. There's a picture of a wall. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem a sign of hope in the future. But what if you blow it? What if you live a prodigal life? What if you stumble? What if you get a second chance and you need a third chance or a fourth chance? Nehemiah's your guy. He's a guy who speaks a word about how faithful God is when, when we're not faithful. Nehemiah was sabotaged. He was opposed. It looked like he was going to lose everything, but he believed that God was working in his time. And when the, when the wall was rebuilt, when the walls of Jerusalem were put back together, the law was read, the grace of God was celebrated, the people made confession, and God is a God of second chances. Amen? You know, today, this afternoon, I'll turn on my TV and I'll watch an NFL game, and, and I'm sure there'll be somebody at some point today, whether I see it or not, that'll be in the end zone, that's usually when you see them, when the field goal is getting kicked or the point after is getting kicked, where somebody is going to be waving up John 3.16. There's going to be some dude out there. The TV won't, won't show in on him and say, well, that, you know what that means? They won't tell you what it means. There will just be somebody there hanging, holding on to it. You know, you just don't get a lot of spiritual stuff at NFL games. I'm going to talk a, just a second about that because the chicken broadcasting system is too chicken to show grown men praying at, at midfield after the game is over. God have mercy. We'll show the cheerleaders and the beer, but we don't want to be courageous enough to show them that big men know how to pray. And even when somebody gets hurt, they kneel and pray, but they go to commercial to sell you stuff while people are praying. Let's go back to John 3.16 so I don't get off the point. I want somebody to go to an NFL game and just tell me they did it someday, sometime, and hold up John 3.17. Be a little different. Look at you like, <laughs> did you get the memo? It's only John 3.16 allowed in this section. <laughs> John 3.17, because let's listen to me, church. We have not read that enough. John 3.16, we got that down for God so loved the world that he gave us. I mean, we can quote that all day long, and it's cute when we quote it, especially when the kids quote it. I mean, But John 3.17, us adults could take a long, deep drink of that. You know what it says? Say it with me. For God did not send his world to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. I don't know if we've ever got that right yet. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. Had God wanted to condemn folks, God has many methods of condemning people. He does not need your help. He's got the Holy Spirit, who I found out does a way better job than any human person. And guess what? God does not need me to condemn every sinner, point out every flaw, attack everything I disagree with, and remind everyone of how wrong they are and how right I am. I need John 3.7. For God did not send his son or the disciples of his son to be ministers of condemnation. What are we supposed to be, Paul says? Ambassadors of... We heard it last Sunday night, the 23 who came, ministers of reconciling. You don't need to condemn anybody. They stand condemned already if they're breathing the Holy Spirit's around them. Preach the message of reconciliation. Christmas is not about condemning people, but God saving the world. Go find somebody who needs a second chance and proclaim the hope of Jesus. Go find somebody in your family who needs a third chance. Speak grace to their broken souls. Reach out to someone who by all accounts may be unchurchable and let the words of Jesus ring in them. And the person who needs Jesus may need your fifth chance or your sixth chance. Now, I'm not preaching codependency. I'm preaching reconciliation that offers God's love to others. I'm not saying give them your card and give them your credit card. I'm just saying show them the love of Christ. May the church who wears the name Nazarene be worthy of the reconciliation the Nazarene died to give. Last thing, Lord, may I trust you when I wait. Zechariah, last story. You know, Zechariah, we've got a Zechariah now. I've got to be careful how I say this. Zechariah. Zechariah was muted. He lost his voice, unable to speak or share what the angel of the Lord said to him. Go to Luke chapter 1. You know the story of Zechariah. The angel came to him and said, you're going to have a son. He didn't believe it. I'm going to have a son in the power of Elijah? You're going to have a son that turns the heart of the fathers to their children? You're going to have a son filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb? That's sort of, he just didn't buy it at all. The only thing Zechariah got right was that when Elizabeth had the baby and he wanted, she wanted to name him, as all people would have done, Zechariah II, or Zach Jr., he asked for a writing tablet, Luke 1, 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, blessing God. He had to wait nine months to tell the story of what happened to him that day. He wrote down on the tablet his name. And when he wrote down the tablet, God loosed his tongue. All these prophecies, they're all prophecies. All this prophetic hope, and I wait with hope. Every prophetic word has been fulfilled. There's no empty promises in this book. Thank you for joining us today. If you do not have a home church, please consider joining us on Sundays. Sunday school is held at 8.30 a.m. with classes for all ages. Worship is at 9.45 a.m. There is a preschool praise and worship time during the 9.45 a.m. service for the three to five-year-old children. Join us again at 6 p.m. Sunday evenings for worship, witness, and the word. We also have Sunday evening activities for teens and children of all ages. Our nursery is open to children from birth through two years old during all Sunday activities. We have Wednesday evening activities for teens and children. 
If you would like a copy of today's message, please call or write the Baker City Nazarene Church office. We also have a copy of today's message on our webpage at www.bakercitynaz.com. We are located at the corner of Hughes Lane and Cedar Street in Baker. May you allow the Lord to richly bless you this year. Just welcome Him into your heart.